Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of Kitchen Club is sponsored by Sensate a sophisticated infrasound resonance device, which when paired with the Sensate app, works towards toning your vagus nerve, reducing stress and improving well-being. The pebble-shaped device emits infrasonic sound waves that are synchronized with the soundscapes in the app to provide deep relaxation in 10 to 30 minute sessions. The benefits of Sensate include better sleep, increased heart rate variability, and it also improves your stress resilience, something we all probably need more of. I've been using Sensate for almost a year and it has really worked its way into my daily routine to de-stress and improve my own sleep patterns. The soundscapes on the app are also just so lush. So if you'd like to reap the benefits for yourself, then Kitchen Club listeners can get £20 off your own Sensate device using the code KITCHENCLUB in capital letters at the checkout. Enjoy! Hello and welcome back to a brand new season of Kitchen Club with me, Sarah Malcolm, and my most wonderful friend, Serena Lau. We're so excited to get chatting to our first guest of season five, For anybody who is new around here, Kitchen Club is the weekly podcast that brings you conversations from around our kitchen table. Each week, we have a brilliant new guest, a new area of expertise to get stuck into, and a new recipe which is created using our guests' three favorite ingredients. Today's guest is Lily Canetti-Clark. Lily is a medical herbalist and holistic wellness practitioner. She is passionate about education and providing valuable knowledge, which will support sustainable solutions, empowering her clients to take control of their health and well-being. Her main areas of interest include women's health and stress management. In this episode, we chat to Lily about all things herbal medicine, women's health, and the importance of keeping your kidneys warm. So we really hope you enjoy it. Let's get into the episode. Hello, lovely Lily. Welcome to Kitchen Club. Hello. Thank you for inviting me on. We are so thrilled to have you, Lily. It's been um, 
such a long time coming because you were so patient with us when we were like, yeah, we're going to record in November. And now it's, now it's January. Well, <laughs> I have all the extra stories now to give you, so it's all good. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. We're going to start, Lily, with your three favourite ingredients and then tell you the recipe we've created. So would you remind us all what your three ingredients were? Yes. And I felt bad when I gave these to you because I couldn't quite imagine what you were going to create. <laughs> I have faith. Um, it's definitely potatoes as my number one food. Um, maybe tahini and aubergine. Mm. Is, is there anything about those three that you're like, yeah, this is why I've chosen them? Any nice I mean, memories? Potatoes, yeah, potatoes came instantly. Um, that wasn't a hard choice. Uh, and I don't, I can't, I don't really know why um potatoes have become such a huge part of my life but they are now honestly a daily occurrence uh, and I have an Abel and Cole box and they just provide the goods every week without fail even though I don't ask them they must just know um give her the potatoes literally <laughs> um and I'm slowly getting more information now about which potatoes I prefer um but I don't know. I mean, I read, I watched the Martian movie a while ago now, and I was obviously inspired by him uh, living completely off potatoes. And I suddenly realized what a nutritional powerhouse this one vegetable was. Wow. They're yeah, also it, delicious, obviously. What, what's Martian? Sorry. I might be really It's a movie. I can't remember who the main guy is, but he, um, they go on a space mission and um, he gets left in space on his own and has no means of survival and for anyone to go back and get him he would have died basically and um but he decides that he is a botanist and so he basically decides that he can grow potatoes in space and he does successfully and lives for all this time I think it's like a year or a half on solely potatoes and it's an inspiring story it's not true obviously it's not true but it's a beautiful story and um beyond just the obvious fact that potatoes are incredibly versatile and chips probably being the most obviously delicious format. There are also many underrated forms, um, such as the baked potato doesn't get enough airtime. Sweet potato as well is included in this potato. Is it? Serena hates sweet potatoes. Ah, I'm sorry. I don't hate, I just like, I don't love like a mashed or a baked one. I kind of only like wedges. Wedges. Oh, I mean, as long as you're on board with the wedges, I was going to yeah. be sad if there was no. Whereas a white potato, left. I will eat in any form. Obsessed, <laughs> love it. So I loved it when you chose it. Well, we when we when we moved into this house, my housemate is a illustrator, and we decided we needed a family tree for the three of us, um, which is me, my <laughs> partner, and Hannah. <laughs> and um, so she drew as our family uh, symbol, because obviously we don't have an inherited family crest, sadly. Um, it's a potato plant and it's stunning. It's like got the roots and the flower of a potato, which not many people see. And then it has our family um, motto as well. Which I was about to say, can you tell everyone your family motto? <laughs> it's actually uh, just, I mean, well, yeah, it's, um, it's Dolce Far Niente which if I give you the actual origin of that is terribly embarrassing. Um, on, in the sense it's come from Eat, Pray, Love originally. <laughs> I mean, that was like the first seed for me, but then it, it developed because I started asking any Italian speaker what it meant to them. Because literally it translates as the joy of nothing. Um, but 
it's much more nuanced than that. Um, so <laughs> some Italian people have said like, it means like the joy of the little things. Um, there was this one time I was in an Italian restaurant and the guy, I said to him, what does Dolce Farniente mean to you? By the way, I'm probably pronouncing it terribly. I do not speak Italian. No, you sound lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and he like pointed at this waitress who was like um, putting a uh, order through quite a boring task on a ipad but she was like dancing while she did it and he was like that's dolce farniente um oh. and yeah it's kind of been quite appropriate in the last two years mm-hmm. uh where you can't do like bigger more exciting things necessarily so you've had to sort of find joy in the mundane yeah um and actually my housemate who I've already mentioned once just painted it on our wall which is now oh. above our sofa um in how our lovely room. is that yeah so potatoes and dolce farniente are us in a nutshell and eat pray love I love eat pray love no shade on that okay fantastic some people are like oh my god is that from eat pray love and I'm like no, oh no like I read dream. about it somewhere else <laughs> Serena, do you want to tell Lily what um what you've made? What we what we we actually did together this one. We did indeed. But it was Serena's idea. We had a cooking day. We made you sexy crispy potato and aubergine bake with tahini yogurt. And we ummed and ahed about what we were gonna call it, because it's not really a bake, it's more like layers of delicious things. Mm-hmm. And so the closest thing that we thought it was like was actually a cake. But it's not or really. nachos or nachos or nachos. Yes, Sarah said it was like Italian vibe potato nachos. Oh my god, that sounds unbelievable! Especially the fact that you put in sexy and crispy. I mean, that just hit all the right words. Yeah. And actually, my birthday this year or last year, um, I gave up crisps the whole of last year. Obviously, wow. one of the main potato formats. Yes. The one because, of the best ones. Yeah, I had. It was a bad. It was, it was bad. I was eating like a full kettle chips every day, which is just not healthy and happy. Um, and um, so I decided to challenge myself and give them up, except for birthdays. And that extended into multiple people's birthdays. So I did eat it quite a lot. But um, I, so um, for my birthday last year, um, obviously one of the many days I was allowed to eat crisps, uh, my partner made a literally as you say like a cake with the multiple layers and like the bottom layer was like nachos and then it was like the whole table was filled like the whole the middle of the table like a runner it was like nachos then all of the like um beanie yumminess and then the quack and oh my my gosh cake with potato dream delicious. wow and I have to say I wasn't that um when we were making this recipe, I was a bit like, what is this? <laughs> is it going to be nice? And then we went to eat it and it is so delicious. Oh my goodness. I, Serena gave me leftovers and I had it had it for lunch on Saturday. It's divine. So um, lucky me. Can't well, wait to try recipe, it. Lily, yes. And lists, you can find it on Instagram. The bit that we haven't mentioned in the recipe is the tomato sauce. That sounds like it's just potato, aubergine and yogurt. There's like True. a spicy, gingery tomato sauce as well. Oh, what a treat. That's so it's kind of bonus. like a deconstructed vegan aubergine parmigiana vibe. But you could put some halloumi in. I know you don't eat dairy, Lil, but for anybody listening, a nice bit of halloumi would go down quite nicely in there. And the tahini yeah. just drizzled on top as well. It's just... And mixed into the yogurt. So it's like thick yogurt. Excellent. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. You'll have to make it. 
I will. I'll send you a beautiful picture of my ginormous potato over <laughs> tahini cake. Yes, please do. <laughs> um, so lovely, Lily. I obviously know all about you and what you do, but this is the first time you've met Sarah. And this may be the first time that some of our listeners have met you. So why don't you start by telling everyone a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then we'll get into the magic of herbs. Sure. Um, so I am a medical herbalist and facialist as of more recently. Um, and for those that don't know what a medical herbalist is, um, we are similar to GPs in the sense that we treat a whole multitude of different things. Um, but instead of prescribing pharmaceutical drugs, um, we would choose to prescribe holistic therapeutics so diet lifestyle but also the wonder of natural plant medicine which comes in a myriad of different forms from teas and powders and supplements to tinctures which are when you extract the active phytochemicals in a plant into alcohol and then you drink the alcohol like a shot um and I've been trained as a herbalist for the last three years and it came after a bit of a journey of self-discovery in the natural wellness world. Um, I didn't start off immediately knowing I wanted to be a herbalist. If I'm honest, I didn't know what a herbalist was either at the start of my journey. Um, looking back on it now, I realised that I sort of was a folk herbalist from a little age because I you know, had peppermint tea after dinner and drank chamomile tea when I was nervous or um, upset, which was because my mother also had that knowledge, um, which I think we all hold to a certain extent, but we're not consciously aware that that is herbal medicine in practice. Um, so I started off studying psychology at Bristol University with Serena and um, thought I wanted to be a clinical therapist. Um, but I got sidetracked by a love for nutrition as well. So I went to study food in Australia in Sydney because I thought that Sydney was the best place to study it because they had a greater appreciation for mind and body. And it was a great course. It was so inspiring. Um, and I was put in the same group as some herbal students um, to do some of the kind of basic foundational like anatomy, physiology, biochemistry courses, which are the same across different um, study groups and they'd constantly be saying things in our lectures like oh this would be a classic case for marshmallow and I was there like what's marshmallow and I was like oh my god I need to know what this is because if this is a classic case for marshmallow like, <laughs> I need to know what marshmallows do so I basically became a bit of a greedy learner and started to kind of learn their things as well as my things what is marshmallow um, marshmallow is the original marshmallow um it is a beautiful plant, Althea officinalis. Um, it's very, very soothing to the gut. So a lot of people might know about things like slippery, slippery elm for sort of inflamed, irritated gut problems, but it's actually endangered slippery elm. Um, and so it can be very expensive. And also we shouldn't really be buying too much of it. But the marshmallow, which is you, you can find growing wild in the UK, but also it's pretty easy to grow is just as good um, just as soothing it has super qualities of um mucilaginous qualities so essentially literally like coat your gut lining um so that whatever comes down food wise doesn't irritate it um 
and similar to slippery elm can do this thing where it can either uh slow bowel movements down if they're happening too quickly or um increase them if they're getting a bit stuck so um it's called a wonder plant and i think we must have been talking about bowel movements in this nutrition lecture and they were like this person this patient needs marshmallow <laughs> um anyway so i then decided to change tract and study herbs as well um which i did in london at the university of westminster um which was the only university course left um and now i think has also closed which is very sad um, and i was about one of 12 students so it was a really small intimate course um so where can, would, where would you go where would you study now if, if it was so yeah you, you can study it now but it's all privatized so there's small colleges wow. um so there's botonica and hartwood are the two that i sort of know of where you do a lot of its distance learning and then you go and be on site once every eight weeks or something um and have kind of yeah one-to-one time and then you have to get your clinical experience and hours elsewhere whereas I was so lucky because at the university we had a university polyclinic so it was like a low-cost clinic for people in London to come to so we had weekly um a whole day of clinical practice um gosh it seems quite backwards that it's now like it seems like we should be going in the in the direction where it's offered in university. It's very strange. I mean, the University of Westminster, the reason they cut it, it wasn't specific to herbs. It was that they cut all courses that had less than 100 students, which included things like even psychology at the time. Oh, wow. Um, they did like a mass cut. Um, but interestingly, despite my course having, I think there were 12 of us, the private colleges are bringing in cohorts of a hundred or so um, every year. So they are, it is growing in popularity just in a different way now, I guess. Yeah. And they are still accredited by our bigger governing bodies. So you are just as much a qualified herbalist as you would be if you'd gone through the university route. That's right. good then that the like the closing of the course doesn't mean the dying out of the practice as long no. as people are still studying somewhere. Yeah. And in some ways, I think it's no bad thing because um, trying to fit something as edgy as herbal medicine into a university degree, which was a BSc, so a Bachelor of Science, meant that they had to change the course. They had to mold the course into it being Bachelor of Science. If for a course to qualify as a science degree, it had to have a certain amount of bits in it I don't know how the university structure work but it sort of meant that maybe the course was skewed too heavily towards um anatomy physiology biochemistry which is so useful and you need to have that in knowledge but maybe there wasn't enough time for the slightly more gray area of just like getting to know plants growing plants um understanding how they grow what they smell like what they taste like how to use them make them into things that side of the alchemy wasn't so much included because it needed to be a strict Bachelor of Science, whereas the private colleges have much more um, free reign on designing a course which creates herbalists that are more rounded, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine that's a really important part of it. I know you're into your foraging and stuff, and whenever you're on Instagram going home to the countryside and picking things and collecting things and growing things, that's presumably a really important part of it that you're not just good at administering the herbs, but you like really know the plants and know what they look like and where they grow and what how they behave. 
Yeah, and that's something that really was lacking in my course. It was left up to, up to us to explore that side of things um, and find inspiring people to show you that way. And so near where I lived at home at the time, there was a herbalist in the Brighton area called Alice, who is a self-sufficient herbalist, grows everything herself on her small holding wow. and then turns it all into her own medicine. I and mean, she does buy in a little bit when things are out of season, but largely she's self-sufficient. There's another incredible herbalist called um, Lucy, who also is somewhere else in the UK, grows everything all on an allotment that she has. Mm. Um, and that's like, that's, idols that's where we're all headed that's where you want to be you want to be able to either forage or grow it make it prescribe it that's that's the dream circle but um for me at the moment where I'm at um in terms of literal space for drying um time spent money at the moment unfortunately I'm having to buy in a lot of the stuff I prescribe but during spring especially a spring you can forage so much. Um, spring and spring medicine is such that a lot of it is best fresh. So you literally forage it, juice it, or whatever it is you're going to do, and prescribe it there and then, or to yourself. That has such a um, powerful energy to it. Whereas other things can be dried and preserved for longer. So during spring, I do tend to forage and prescribe, which is yeah, incredibly satisfying. It's like having your own boots in your garden, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, exactly. And again, you know, the last two years, how incredible to be able to have your own boots in your garden, or at least to know where to walk to find X, Y, and Z, because everyone hasn't had as great access to healthcare. And so even knowing a little bit, um, you know, things for, for example, a common cold, um, there's a lot out there, or even if you're not going to forage it, go and get it from your kind of Holland and Barrett or equivalent. Um, there's a lot of stuff that can be helped. Um, and I think that's a really interesting point and something I always like to make a statement about is I think a lot of people think that if you're a medical herbalist, you are anti-pharmaceutical drugs and mainstream um, modern healthcare. And that's just completely wrong. It's a wrong assumption. Of course, maybe there are herbalists that are that far and inclined. But, you know, I... Would love, I always try and treat myself naturally first, but there's, you know, I will, if I have terrible period pain, which every now and again I do, I do have to take paracetamol, ibuprofen. If I get hit by a bus, you know, please take me to hospital. Gosh, I, I don't want to be, you know, wrapped in herbs at that point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, there's a limitation, but there's a huge place for it as well. Um, and so it's about knowing what needs what. And I think yeah. a responsible herbalist will treat up to the point where they now then they need to refer on because it is maybe perhaps too serious or just needs a more potent version of a plant, which essentially is a drug. Yeah. In that on that vein then, Lily, um because it, herbs have taken such a um kind of roller coaster ride in the in the sense that years ago that is that was the medicine that, you know, in Serena wrote in my notes, in ye old days. <laughs> Um, that would have been the medicine for everyone. You'd have, you know, a, a woman, usually a woman or, or a man. Actually, that's a big no, presumption. Usually a woman. Yeah. yeah. In, in your village. And, but you'd go to a herbalist and you'd be treated with herbs for any ailment or, you know, that would be how, how it works. And not until very, very, very recent times have we relied so heavily on 
pharmaceuticals and you know what a massive industry it's become um so what does it kind of mean to you to be pioneering a modern day herbalist approach yeah it's it's exciting and you're right it has gone through like a real um interesting journey of its own um and we're a very ununited bunch herbalists like by our nature we are um controversial and so therefore we do not unite in our agreement about things and there'll probably be herbalists today disagreeing with what i say and there'll be herbalists championing me on but um yeah you're right once upon a time well, once upon a time, originally, we would have all held the knowledge. There wouldn't have been a village herbalist or village witch at that point, I guess. They probably would have been called. Um, we'd have all held the knowledge and you'd have passed it on to your daughter and their granddaughters and so on. And this is not an exact science, but around the time when antibiotics started to be developed, people essentially saw this as a kind of wonder drug the golden bullet sort of thing and attention moved away from plant medicine towards um, this growing field of modern medicine. And before that, you know, herbs would have been in pharmacies. You would have gone to the pharmacy and you'd be able to get herbs. Um, But slowly um, the the shelves, I guess, filled with drugs and the herbs were um, outnumbered until essentially now I don't think there's any herbs you can really get at the pharmacy anymore. Um, But there are things that have definitely over the last, I think, you know, things like the the lidamide um, experience started to put um, a question mark on some people's minds about just how much um, authority we should be giving over to um, science. Um, And so some people at that point had questions. But again, it's not really about one versus the other. I think just in recent times, people have had more of an openness to um holistic health and not just seeing health as something you treat when you're sick you know the fact that it's called healthcare is sort of silly in some ways because it's sick care it's something you only really go to when you are sick not to go to to increase longevity or vitality or health um but people who are looking to do that tend to turn to um alternative practitioners um because they will look at you fully they're not looking for a problem you don't have to come and see us if you've got a problem you can just come as someone who wants to look after their health and learn more about ways to do that um and so in recent years um i think there is more of an interest in herbal medicine and the word is slowly getting out there i think i feel very lucky to be um doing it at this age because um i can get to people and talk to people through the likes of social media which Mm. I think many other herbalists uh, who are maybe older um who've been doing this for many years and who have way more experience than me um but they don't have that greater access um because they don't use social media and things like that and that is where Instagram comes into its own because Otherwise, probably many of the people who follow me or the people listening today may not have known that that was an option for them. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it is there. So it is exciting to be yeah, a modern day herbalist. And just on when you're saying, um, you know, you don't have to wait till you have a problem. I think that's the case with so many elements to our lives. You know, why we don't we don't um, not brush our teeth every day and then wait until we've got wait, that's a bad analogy, but I think there's a better way of saying it. Like why wait until you've got a, you need a root canal 
in order to start taking care of your teeth. You know, we brush our teeth every single day and it's the same with a meditation practice or a yoga practice. Why wait until there's a really big issue Mm. when we can help ourselves every little day, every, every day, a little bit and take care of our body on the whole, rather than being like, I'm going to wait until all the signs tell me to stop. Yeah. And I mean, it's better for you and your wallet in the sense that if you don't do that, the cost to the NHS and the cost to you personally, depending on what way you go, will be much greater. You know, the little things you can put in place along the way, some of them are free, you know, likes of meditation and mindfulness and things like that. They're, they're open to everyone. And then there's, you know, things where you could be spending a little bit more, more money on the food you're eating or on some supplements or things like that if they're necessary. Um, I mean, a, a good analogy for that is um, in recent, in the last couple of years, people have started putting more um, emphasis and um, interest on the kind of preconception period in the sense of like, don't wait until maybe something then you can't get pregnant. And instead, maybe we should be putting more focus, energy and time in the time taken before you do actually decide you want to get pregnant. And I think it's been termed the trimester now. And it's Mm -hmm. sort of like many women go about their lives and then suddenly decide they want to get pregnant and then maybe they can't get pregnant. And so um, they then will go through the stress and anxiety and trauma of that, but also um, they could have been putting in years of good practice um, to, you know, not necessarily have improved their can, their chances of getting pregnant, but it's really about your whole women's health being um, in a healthy place for, for multiple reasons. Um, so that's something I see in my clinic. A lot of women come to me with no health problem. They haven't even maybe tried starting to conceive yet, but they're wanting to put themselves in the best position to um, develop mature eggs that then have the greatest chance of success. We're going to get onto this in a, in a, in a bit, because there's, yeah, a lot we can dive into. We know you're a women's health what's the word guru Um, but whilst we're just thinking about like maintenance rather than cure you and I have obviously chatted a lot about people's reluctance to adopt a slow and steady approach to healing because of western medicine people are so used to a quick fix they want to take a pill um and all their problems go away and I'm wondering what problems that brings up what benefits you think there are to a slower more sustainable style of treatment and why because of that are you so passionate about getting people into plants rather than immediately giving them medicine because as you said you're not against medicine but I know we had a chat once you had something wrong and you were saying I'm trying to treat myself I'm trying to treat myself I'm trying to treat myself I don't want to take antibiotics and you did eventually reach a point where you were like you know what I'm in pain I need to take some antibiotics yeah that was a urinary infection and I, I I I definitely sometimes think ignorance is bliss for me because I know too much sometimes <laughs> and I just therefore in a situation for example with the urinary infection where you know there are certain signs where you need to take antibiotics you know there are certain signs that say it might be traveling up to your kidneys and we need to now take something a bit more strong um but I was sort of one brain one side of my brain was saying Lily take the antibiotics another side was saying Lily but if you take antibiotics all the good work you've been doing on your microbiome is going to be wiped you could just wait one more day when we're half the side so it is slightly annoying um but 
I think to your question, um, it is really tricky. We're so used to being able to take a paracetamol and our headache to be gone in half an hour. And so when I speak to some of my patients and say, hopefully we're going to see changes in the next couple of weeks, but um, especially with women's health and hormones, it may take a few cycles for us to see um, meaningful changes. And for many people, they lose their way. Um, and I was actually speaking to a nutritionist yesterday who sees her patients weekly, which I think is an amazing uh, different way of working because she keeps and holds her patients accountable. Um, and I How often would you see? Yeah, so would you see it does depend, um, depend on the person, depend on the condition. But probably I call them after a month and we have a quick chat, which basically is my accountability call to say, mm. are you taking it? How are you taking it? Tell me how you're taking it to make sure they're doing it right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, as long as they're getting the medicine in, um, that's my most important um role um but all the other things that go around herbs so lifestyle practices and food are just as valid and to be honest if a patient just takes the herbs and doesn't make any diet shifts um, or lifestyle changes that are needed the herbs are going to have a much harder time at doing their job so i need to make sure that they are at least moving in the right direction and then i'll see them again kind of physically or on zoom after two or three months normally but speaking to the nutritionist yesterday did make me question whether it would be better seeing people more regularly just to purely hold people accountable um, to changes. Um, but the, the slower progress um, route, if you are able to stick with it and have patience, um, the changes that you're, you will then put into place will be sustainable because... Um, they're things you learn to live, live with and they're things that you grow to work around or appreciate or even love. You know, sometimes practices at the start can feel really icky or sticky um, or even really hate them. Um, but with repetition, creating a habit out of them, you will then maybe do that thing forever. Whereas you cannot continue taking most pharmaceutical drugs forever without some form of side effect or something then meaning you're going to have to take another pharmaceutical drug alongside it because another problem has emerged. Um, and the problem with that, especially in um, the older population, is you then come to be on a cocktail of different drugs, one drug treating the next drug, treating mm -hmm. the next drug, treating the next drug. Um, and that's not for me. And I don't think that's for everyone. So if you can be patient, um, the changes that will be implemented will stick with you forever. And that's then true healthcare really yeah and that's the kind of be patient that's the crux of it all isn't it the modern world we live in everything is instant we can get things delivered to us instantly we want everything right now but the best things take time it, yeah and I think it also and I think over the last two years with the COVID all the things like the you know the new delivery stuff the wheezies and other um yeah they literally, I mean, you know, you, and even our phones, you know, our phones make us, um, our attention so limited. Um, and so it is interesting and it's why I really do, I'm grateful for the psychology, um, degree in me, because I do think when it comes to health, in my opinion, the first level is mind and it's the psychology behind your patient and for example when I get people who come to me who've been sent by their husband or by their daughter or by their mother 
they don't stick around. You know, I see them once, maybe twice, that's it, because they haven't had the incentive to change. And that's the first nine of taking care of yourself. It's having the intent and the motivation to want to help yourself. And then the next level is the food and the nutrition, which is sort of like your foundation of health. And then if you want to, there is the next option, which is herbs, which are kind of there to bring your body into a greater state of balance when things do maybe go slightly awry. That's so interesting. I, I find it exactly the same. If somebody has been sent to see me, they won't get the results they want. The first step is always that you have to want that change for yourself. Otherwise, you're just not going to commit to it. I guess even Sarah, it's the same with yoga. Like if yeah. someone tries yoga because their boss or their friend has said, this is really going to help you, their heart's not in it. No. The interesting thing with that as well is sometimes... Um, it is down to us as a practitioner or yourself as a yoga teacher um, or a hypnotherapist or um, whatever work you're doing to, um, if it is someone maybe who's been recommended by their mother or friend or whatever it is, to really um, start by getting them on board from that sort of um, accountability and motivation point of view, trying to work out exactly what it is that motivates them, because obviously mm-hmm. everyone has different motivations and for them it may not be their health or well-being, but it may be a financial incentive or something else. So yeah. not jumping straight in and just trying to fix them with herbs or diet and actually spending some time at the beginning working on that level of like mind, psychology, motivation working out exactly what yeah motivates them because we are all so different and I think especially when those people I literally know exactly to be honest within about five minutes of a call sometimes I know whether it's going to be someone who sticks with it or not um and if it's someone who I'm not thinking they're gonna hang around then you do need to spend a good amount of time at the beginning talking to them around what motivates them and Mm. really understanding how their own mind works yeah yeah um let's dive in then Lily to to all of this all of this women's health stuff (laughs) um it's such a massive topic and coming from my own experience with polycystic ovary syndrome you know I wish that eight years ago when I when I was diagnosed with PCOS that I had or there was this all the all of this talk on women's health and all of these other uh things available um so can you kind of tell us a little bit how how herbs can help in in that area and your own journey through that and what other what other kind of main women's health issues that you see coming up sure so for the last two years I've yeah I've been trying to specialize in women's health kind of generally um in the last sort of three months I've been trying to move towards specifically hormonal acne within women's health um because it's something I had struggles with and it's what one of the kind of main reasons I started taking herbs myself was for that and it was remarkably helpful um and you know touch wood I haven't had really any problems since um and I was at a point with terrible cystic acne um and was very close to taking Maracutane um and thinking that was my only last solution but I then saw a practitioner who offered something else and um thankfully for me that did work but herbal medicine can treat a, I mean pretty much any of the women's health conditions and of course there are so many um I've been 
writing a presentation actually yesterday all about women's health and Aviva Rom who is sort of my uh, herbal hero she's a midwife doula and herbalist in America and she is all-knowing about women's health and herbs uh, she talks about this like hidden hormone epidemic that's going on um, which is kind of rising cases of women who are suffering um, and how the modern healthcare system just doesn't have many answers uh, for a lot of the conditions and um, things that afflict women. And the reason for why that is, 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 a, is broad because there's sort of the problem with gendered healthcare and a history of women being misrepresented um, in uh, the research and just attention, effort, money, funding, all of that sort of thing. There's also kind of women who have from cult for cultural reasons, not being able to speak about things to do with their reproductive system from a shame or embarrassment side of things. And that taboo then means women have been silenced for very long. There's many of the women's health conditions are invisible illnesses. I think it's 96% of them are. So to wow. the world, you look absolutely fine, um, but you're hugely suffering in silence inside. And that again, isn't helpful for getting people talking about it. And so talking about it is the most important thing because the more we talk about it, the more women will be able to hopefully um, speak up and therefore be more represented, more money will be put into research, there'll be more treatment options available, um, all of these things. Um, and that's why I think I'm working in that field. That's why so many herbalists do work in the women's health field because they're just... There's so many women who want help because they haven't been heard or listened to effectively, truly listened to by their uh, GP or equivalent. Um, and it's inspiring to work in that field because even just purely, my initial consultation is an hour and a half. And sometimes at the end of that consultation, a woman turns around and says, you know, I've, I've just never been listened to like that. I've never been heard like that. I've never been able to tell my whole story. And um, that in itself is a huge privilege because, um, you know, I've been there, I've sat opposite a GP and it's not their fault. They only have whatever it is, five or 10 minutes of time to give to you at that early point, but that just isn't enough. Um, I know just thinking about my own struggles within um, women's health, you know, I, there's no way I could fit everything I needed to say into five or 10 minutes and for them to effectively really be able to diagnose or give me the next steps. And so just the consultation alone is um, so powerful for women just to truly get their story out there. Sometimes that in itself can be um, transitional in itself because you have your own eureka moments when you are just hearing yourself speak about mm. your story. Um, but then with regard to treatment, um, beyond the diet and lifestyle changes, which are fundamental and foundational in women's health and something that I definitely work with. Um, the herbs are an extra bit of magic. Um, there are not like set women's health herbs. There are herbs that are more commonly used within women's health. Um, herbs like Vitex. Um, I can't really think of an example of when I'd use Vitex other than within women's health. So it's quite a good example. Um, is an amazing herb that, um, is used for so many different kind of 
sections of women's health because it can be for women who have lost their period um they have amenorrhea maybe through um over exercising or under exercising as so their body's gone into that sort of survival mode turned off ovulation and they're not getting their period it's a real way to sort of kickstart um periods again it's good for regulating periods it's um can be helpful for hormonal acne it can be helpful for pcos it can also be helpful in the menopausal period as well um and it's it's an incredible herb and it's something that now you can actually find i think in places like holland and barrett so it is again one of those things that is slowly getting out there to more mainstream um viewers but i would caution that just because it is i think that's one interesting area um which is difficult because obviously while you want people to know about herbs you want to say like vitex does this yeah it doesn't do it for everyone i took vitex when i had cystic acne and it made my acne terrible Mm. it is a very hot herb um it's heating the quality of the herb is heating i was living in australia and i was having a heating herb on top of an already hot inflammatory skin condition and my skin went crazy and i didn't think it was vitex because i thought this was the thing that was helping so i didn't stop i kept taking it um so other life factors and influences will also affect how the herbs work in your body exactly who you are what your constitution is so whether you're a hot or cold person is is huge um and just it's not as simple as this herb does that it's um because actually each plant has maybe between 10 and 20 different actions and so there are so many herbs to choose from for one given thing so let's just take acne as example there are so many herbs that have an action to do with acne whether it's they're working on the liver um it's working on the lymphatic system, it's working as an antibacterial, all these different actions. But your choice of the specific herbs, because there are maybe 30 for each action you want, is down to the individual. And it's Mm -hmm. thinking, you know, are they a hot person? Are they a cold person? Are they, um, is their acne liver acne? Is it because they have an overworked liver or an under-functioning liver? Or is it that they don't do actually any exercise and so the herbs really here aren't that important it would be good to support with some gentle herbs but realistically they need to get themselves moving or reduce their sugar you know it's it's not a plus b equals c which it is in um more of a pharmaceutical drug world you know you could be any type of person you can do no exercise you can do so much exercise but paracetamol will probably work the same it doesn't work like that in herbal medicine so as good as it is that you can now get herbs in um, more mainstream places it is just a word of caution that for true kind of help and um for meaningful change it is best to just kind of seek the help of someone who can guide you through herbs because it is a bit of a minefield um yeah. there are a lot of herbs out there and Lily just for this is more for my own um clearing up of my mind and maybe the listeners too when we're talking about herbs yes. are we talking about um you know like literal plants I mean wait that's obvious but you know um I know what you mean leafy stuff or (laughs) you know does the it's not just it's not just basil and coriander and (laughs) parsley (laughs) common question not a silly question I again probably also thought that when I first started um no so a plant is a sorry a herb is a plant with a medicinal action right um so anything underground as well you know, that doesn't have leafiness to it. Definitely. So it can be, so when you then have 
the herb. The herb will be its whole plant name, um, but the medicinal part may be the seed, maybe the fruit, maybe the root, maybe the leaf, maybe all the area parts, maybe the flower. And then depending on what bit is medicinal, um, also then impacts how you would take it. So a lot of root medicine um, can become powders. Um, a lot of mushrooms can become powders. You know, you wouldn't really make a flowery herb into a powder as much. They would maybe be more obviously teas. Yeah. Um, right. But no, it's it's a it's a huge amount of it's called the materia medica of herbal medicine. But there's you know everything from lavender is also a herb, um, calendula marigolds are herbs. As I said, marshmallows are herb. I'm trying to think of a really. I mean, ginger. All the spices mm. are also herbs. Um, and then coriander and parsley and basil are all still. They would also be classified as medicinal herbs because they are all. Um, they all have. A, a huge amount of volatile oils which make them um aromatic herbs mm. and so by their nature are good for the digestive system and their seeds and, and whatnot yeah and more yeah. than that but just the fact that they all smell tells you that they're going to be good for your digestive system and sort of calming <gasps> down your gut and whilst we're on the subject of food before we get to your healthy habit and then i also want you to tell everyone about your lovely teas um if you're happy to talk about this, I know that you are making a bit of a transition away from plant-based eating. And whilst we're talking about women's health, it would be really interesting if you could tell people a little bit about that. And I know there's going to be so many caveats about sustainability and local yeah. sourcing and all that kind of stuff. So don't, don't worry too much about that. We know okay. that that's a factor. But from a purely health point of view, why is it that you're making that change? Sure. Um, so I've been vegetarian since I was five. Um, I was trying to be difficult, I think, age five. I mean, <laughs> I like to think that I was an early environmentalist, but realistically, I found out that chicken was the chicken outside our door and that sort of the fish was my tuna sandwich. And it for me, it just felt very wrong. Um, so I decided to stop eating meat that day and stubbornly never changed my mind. Um and, you know, a plant-based diet can be a healthy diet, um, but there are buts to that, um, not for everyone. And also you have to be an informed plant-based eater to be a healthy eater. Um, you cannot get by by just eating vegetables and grains and think you'll be okay. Um, and for the first half of my life, that is probably why I did. I ate grains and vegetables um, and then slowly starts to become a little bit more conscious about um, omega-3s and protein um, and fats, um, healthy fats and all of that sort of thing. But in the last year, I haven't felt uh, as healthy as maybe I think I should be, given how much uh, effort and love I put into my health. Um, and, you know, the foods I eat are all pretty much apart from my Chris addiction pretty good <laughs> um uh but I wasn't feeling it and I can share something really interesting which is that every day pretty much since I can remember I've had on every single nail quite a hefty white mark and in the last month two months um where I have been introducing some animal protein into my diet all but one nail is now completely clear wow 
I don't know really how to read nails in terms of health, but to me, I do know that marks on your nails can be a sign of a deficiency state in the body. Um, and, you know, while I have been careful to fill deficiency states with supplements, so for example, I don't eat fish, so I've taken omega-3 supplements. I don't have very much B12, so I need to take a B12 supplement. So technically on paper, I've hit all of the, the spots. Um, if your gut isn't 100%, you're not going to be um, utilising those supplements effectively. And actually, they may just be going all the way through you. Mm. Um, so basically, yeah, in the last year, haven't felt great, have been questioning my own diet. Um, it goes very deep, my diet choice, because it is 22 years in the making. Um, I love vegetables. I love plants. I love the way of life of being plant-based. It feels right from a sustainability point of view. It feels right. Um, with so much I've read, it feels right, um, to do with health. But um, I've been questioning it slowly, um, starting by learning more about organ meats, which for me at the time felt like so far away because I didn't even eat standard meat, let alone liver. So liver, yeah. Liver, kidney um, and heart, I think. Um, uh, about how incredible that is for our health. Um, fish is was a big one for me because I learned was starting to learn about how just how important a healthy omega-3 omega-6 balance was um and how my diet basically was full of omega-6 um even though I was eating quote-unquote healthy foods um many of the plant-based um normally alternative products so like a plant-based yogurt a plant-based cheese a plant-based milk were full of omega-6 rife ingredients uh notably the seed oils in yeah. them but just reducing omega-6 wasn't enough. I needed to increase omega-3 and clearly the supplements for me weren't all of it. So it meant starting to eat a little bit of fish with the help of my resident hypnotherapist, Serena. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had to really go back to basics and strip away for me um, uh, what I how I wanted to eat and really needed to kind of work out what my body needed. And it felt intuitive, this craving for for fish, um, for maybe a little bit of meat. I have been eating a bit of bone broth. That's how far I've got so far. And I've just ordered some kidney, liver and heart supplements, of a, like, uh, which is also pretty wild for me. I haven't actually opened them yet. They're downstairs. Um, Do you have any brand recommendations there, Lily? So um, Grace, who you've also spoken to, uh, yes. recommended Ape, uh, Ape Nutrition, which they do a grass-fed um beef uh organ supplement so if you know for you if organ meat feels far too far away which it does for me too you can do a freeze-dried option and supposedly i haven't sampled them yet you cannot taste or anything um mm. any of that situation but for i'm interested um specifically in women's health as i said and there has been this huge rise in plant-based eating for environmental reasons and health reasons um, and animal animal rights reasons. Yeah. Um, and I am interested to see what the kind of downstream effects of that are because they won't probably quite have been, um, they won't have shown up yet from a kind of population statistic point of view quite yet because people do have probably many years of stores in them from eating fish and eating things. Yeah. Um, and I do just think it's something to really be aware of is I'm not saying you can't have a 
um, healthy diet as a plant-based eater, but you do just need to inform yourself about proteins, how to effectively eat complete proteins um, as a plant-based eater. If you're getting enough omega-3 um, and, you know, questioning if things don't feel quite right and you are following a plant-based diet, it may not be obvious. It could be, you know, you keep getting infections, mm. um, not even reproductive infections, you know, viral infections and your immunity just isn't quite strong enough. Um, that could be a sign as well that you do just need some extra support and you don't need to become a carnivore overnight. You don't need to be eating meat every meal. You know, I wouldn't definitely wouldn't be suggesting that because of the situation we're in from an environmental perspective anyway. Um, but if you are, um, open-minded um to supplementing your diet with a bit of animal protein or animal products um i found i mean it's early days for me and i'm really curious to see how things will feel as i continue um but having spoken to a few other people interestingly who've been in my position um the benefits have been sort of overflowing um so it is it's definitely an area which I'll be following closely. We'll do a repeat episode in a few months to let everyone know how Lily's feeling on her new diet. (laughs) Yeah. I know, but one mark on my finger, I mean, that can't be a coincidence. Uh, Absolutely bonkers. And just for um, anyone listening who kind of wants to, Lily mentioned about Grace Kingswell talking about a lot of this. Um, She's been a really great guest that we had I can't remember what season but she has a fantastic podcast and a really standout episode for me was all on the omega-6 omega-3 kind of divide within plant-based milks so that is a really great episode to listen to if anyone is interested in that um another podcast that's great is Farmerama podcast um they do a lot on kind of eating uh, meat in the in the right way and sustainable farming and regenerative regenerative farming can I say that word I, I yeah I was gonna say definitely like the plant-based milk uh, omega-3 omega-6 is too much to talk about really as well as yeah. everything we've spoken about but it is worth learning about um and then starting just to check labels of everything you eat because I when I first started doing it I was sort of baffled by how it was in everything yeah um, and unless you basically cook from scratch and change your cooking oils. That's the only way of really getting rid of it. But I also should say that, um, I meant to say that one of my main motivations, uh, one of my main symptoms, which questioned whether meat and fish would be helpful was period pain. It's just the thing that I haven't really been able to crack for myself yet. Um, and that has quite a close link with the fish thing, um, and the omega-3 thing, um, because, um, Omega-3 is anti-inflammatory, omega-6 is pro-inflammatory. And so um, that alone got me got me questioning it, got me thinking. And it's quite interesting that um, this is completely um, anecdotal. Uh, do not quote me on this, but purely from an observational point of view, it's been interesting to witness the increase in period pain in um, women who I'm around who have recently gone largely or fully plant-based in the last few years, women who've never had period pain before, um, who've maybe become vegan and therefore up the omega-6 through alternative um, free from products um, and either no omega-3 because I'm not even supplementing it or not enough omega-3 um, and the effect that has on 
uh, their menstrual cycle has been quite interesting for me just to purely watch. Um, so um, that was my main motivator. Let's talk about your healthy habit, please, Lily. Well, it is a haramaki. I don't actually know if that's the right pronunciation. That's how I say it, um, which is a piece of material that fits around your midriff. Um, sort of like if you're part of the high-waisted pants party, then you'd already be wearing a haramaki, haramaki slightly. Um but the reason for it is it's like a kidney warmer um, and it comes from hara meaning um, kidney and then maki being like rolls so like keep your um, kidneys rolled up and warm. And that is because um, within traditional Chinese medicine understandings or prints like philosophy, kidneys um, are a huge energy center in the body um, and where sort of your vitality and longevity and everything are sort of stored in your kidneys. Kidney health is so important. And if you get your kidneys cold, so for example, in the summer, you're walking around with your crop top. Um, and you're letting your midriff see the air, um, or God forbid, in winter, letting your midriff out, then um, your kidneys get cold and they get depleted. And depleting your kidney energy depletes your whole body energy, so chi or vital energy or how they say in Chinese medicine. And um, it is just a phenomenal thing. Um, Not only is it just cosy to wear, especially at this time of year, is a sort of hug around your waist, means even if you stretch up and you're wearing something that's slightly uh, cropped, you know, that special area around your kidneys always stays nice and toasty. Um, But especially if you have like, so the reason again I got into it was because of period pain and cold water swimming. So um, as an avid cold water swimmer, I had never really contemplated that that might not be very good for me. Um, and I think that's another really interesting, probably too big a topic to dive into. But again, with the recent craze in wild source swimming, everyone thinks it's great. It has incredible health benefits attributed to it. But again, depending on you as a person, your constitution and what's going on for you may not be the safest or best option. And I think I was stupidly never getting warm enough, quick enough after swims. You know, I'd sit around, have a cup of tea with my friends and my kidney energy was just being depleted and depleted because mm. this area was sort of not very warm. And so popping your haramaki on straight after a swim um, or even better putting a hot water bottle in your haramaki. So your hot water bottle is directly on your kidneys wrapped in your haramaki um, keeps everything that area particularly warm. And, And if your kidney energy does get depleted, one of the main things that can happen as a from that, according to Chinese medicine, is uh, like blood stagnation um, and low blood um, energy. I'm not a Chinese medicine <laughs> practitioner, as you can tell, so this is not the best and lit- most literate way of speaking about it. But um, one of the main causes of period pain is blood stagnation. So um, while, again, anecdotal and observational, um, keeping your kidneys warm after cold water swimming or generally in the winter, to be honest, all the way through the year, is not only being hugged every it feels like you're being hugged every day but also is is can be um a lovely way of staying warm for your whole body but also preserve an important energy um in your kidneys um which is important for keeping blood flow around that area which then can impact things like period pain 
It's wow. just a very quick question about this. Is this a specific thing that somebody needs to buy or are you just wrapping a scarf around? So you can, you can just wrap a scarf around, yeah. but no, it is an actual, it is an item. Okay. Um, the company I bought mine from is something like Nakuku Haramaki, but basically I put it into Etsy Haramaki or kidney warmer. And the one I have is cotton, um, which means I don't get too hot and sweaty, but you can buy I bought my mum a woolen one, which was pretty bougie for Christmas. Mm. So if you're if you're a particularly cold person, or maybe cashmere specifically, yeah, oh, that does exist. <laughs> a cashmere that sounds nice. Yeah, and I would recommend going um, not too small, but maybe one size smaller than you think you are, because you don't you want so it, it to really you. hold you. Mm. Yeah, I went to this Christmas fair about three years ago, and a Chinese medicine practitioner was there, and she literally was just getting people to stick their tongue out, and she was like diagnosing you from the purely your tongue, and she instantly said to me, "You have cold in your body. Do you wear like a kidney warmer?" And I was like, "Do I wear a what?" And she was like, you need to get yourself a kidney warmer and wear it every day of the year. And I didn't at that time. Like, this is two years later I got on the Haramaki hype. But, um, it, yeah. And I think I maybe intuitively as a, like, high-waisted pants person anyway, I'm sort of already on it. And, yeah. like, I feel I was always that person at school who, like, pulled my tights, like, up to my um, <laughs> armpits. So I think it's, like, um, maybe intuitive to keep that area warm. But... Uh. I was just about to say that I famously wear enormous knickers. Like I get teased about quite how big my granny pants are. You could use them to sail a ship. But I was about to say maybe that's an intuitive warmth thing. Yeah, I know. I, I totally agree because, you know, it doesn't feel nice unless you're literally lying in a bikini in the hot sun and having your sort of midriff cold. It doesn't. Um, and actually... On the topic of that as well, I've also invested in another item, which would be my second healthy habit, which is this new hot water bottle, which I think is called a UU bottle. Um, and it, yeah, yeah, it wraps around. Um, I was just going to say that Wooker do one of these. Oh my Lush. gosh, that sounds like heaven. Yeah, so you, can you can literally be hugged it. by it. You can wrap it around and then put your haramaki on top. So it's just, I mean, it ties anyway. And so you can put it around, like if you had back pain, if you're all around your body, like round your, but the whole sort of mid-drift area is, even if you don't have period pain, it's just like warming when you're working from home, sitting still all day, keeping that area of your body warm is, is warming all around so. Oh my God, that's what I need for my neck. The only thing I would wonder about that, so you know that, ball like balls men's ball men's balls hang outside their body because they're not meant to get too yeah. warm I wonder if there's any danger of like overheating your ovaries or do you think because they're internal they like they're meant to be warm no so they're because that yeah because your testes hang outside of your body they're trying to be cool that's why because certain <laughs> quality are affected by that and actually interestingly I remember the key lecture from uni where a fertility um herbalist came spoke to us and said it was the number one thing that she saw was that men were wearing too tight uh boxes and getting them to wear loose lying boxes their testes hung loose and low and cooled them down and then the sperm quality like you know really quickly and evidently improved but no I don't think it's the same as your ovaries I mean I think that uh, in very early uh, conception time, there's um, there's potential that you should just keep that area at the most constant and uh, normal temperature, like not too hot, not too cold. So saunas and hot tubs are things are recommended against as are cold water swimming and really like cold things. You want to keep it sort of 
middle of the ground. But if you're outside of that time, uh, you can keep that area nice and warm. A hot water bottle's fine. Yeah, I was definitely, I was told when I had cramps when I was pregnant, I was definitely told not to use a hot water bottle. Yeah. And also, actually, what that on that, babe, what do you think of cold water swimming pregnant? I, I mean, it's it's so interesting. I've been following Sophie Hellier's yeah, swimming. Yeah, that's why um, I'm interested. Which, I mean, I've read a lot of the, um, kind of when she's been posting a lot of comments of women saying how incredible and instrumental it had been for their pregnancy and their pregnancy outcomes and their kind of labour and how it's shortened their labour or improved their labour. And women who've literally like gone into labour in the sea, which is a lifeline of mine. Like that is, I mean, forget the birth pool, yeah. just use the ocean. Maybe in the Caribbean rather than yeah. in the UK. But, <laughs> I um, just asking for an Getting infection. bashed about by the waves. Yeah, I think... My recommendation and my gut would say if you've done it lots and you're a cold water swimmer, it's fine. Potentially not in the first eight, 12 weeks, just because mm-hmm. that's a time when you want to be uber careful about lots of, not uber careful, but you want to be kind of as normal and keep things as um as level as possible but beyond that um I can't see a problem I mean it's the same with herbs you'd say to a woman don't start taking anything new so if you've never taken herbs before it's not unless really indicated I'm not going to prescribe you herbs while you're pregnant but if you've been taking if you if you've always been taking herbs it's probably fine to continue and if anything it's not great to stop um like if cold water swimming is your main uh, medicine for your mind um, or it's your exercise you know you don't want to stop exercise and then your um, your self-care regime so it maybe does more benefit than good um, to keep continue. No it's interesting I was I was doing it quite regularly before I got pregnant and then it just didn't sit well with me it scared me too yeah. much but then as you say I've been watching Sophie Hellier and I'm like this yeah. is so cool look at her go yeah I know and I mean it is it, it's definitely my exercise of choice so um if that became my future then I, I can't imagine wanting to stop it but I guess as you say you just listen to your body and if it didn't feel right for you then you definitely did the right thing I should also actually say before we finish to everyone listening that Lily is one of my favourite people to follow on Instagram because she just has this like lush, wholesome life. She lives in Bristol, which is my favourite city. She's got this beautiful apothecary clinic in her house and I highly recommend giving her a follow because yeah, it's, it's just joyful. You're always like, I'm working with a cup of tea and a piece of cake and it just looks so dreamy. Okay, well, I'm glad I give off that impression, but you know, there is a darker side probably underneath that. Yeah, it's sitting at home eating crisps. <laughs> <laughs> Lily, it's been such a pleasure having you on. It's so nice to have a platform to be able to talk about some of these topics because, you know, as we've said, especially on the case of women's health, everyone needs to feel comfortable talking about their periods and what's going on for them with regard to their female menstrual cycle or. Um, whatever stage of um, that may be. So I hope that it invokes people to have a conversation. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lily. I think that she is such a babe. And I mean, I know Sarah, that's the first time you've met her. I've obviously known her for a while because she's my pal, but it's nice to talk to her in a work context and to soak up all of her knowledge on all of those different subjects. Yeah, she is an absolute delight to have on. Just one of those people that you instantly click with. And I mean, we were talking for over an hour and we could have gone on for like 10 more days. Mm -hmm. So what a joy. (laughs) Um, If you would all like the recipe that we created for Lily, which you definitely will, the potato, aubergine, tomato, tahini thing of goodness then you can find it on our instagram page at 
Kitchen Club podcast and we'll leave lots of things we've spoken about, including uh, all Lily's info in the show notes below this episode. But if you would like to know more about Lily and her herbal medicine practice and delicious herbal teas, then head straight to her Instagram at Lily Canetti Clark and we'll leave, yes, all her details in the show notes below. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.